Thank you, Don. So this morning we have the opportunity to reflect on Epiphany. As, as Thomas shared at the beginning of worship, uh, it's a season of light and, and revelation. It's also uh, an opportunity for us to celebrate that God will go to great lengths to make sure that people know um, his truth and his grace. And so we're going to talk a little bit about these guys called the wise men or, or the magi. And why in the world do they make a difference anyway in, in our Christian walk? Um, and as I was getting ready for the message, I was realizing that some of our practices and traditions and, and maybe even our own minds understanding are going to bump up against the truth of Scripture, and maybe we can reevaluate some of them. All right, I'll give you a couple of examples that are easy examples. Uh, nativity scenes. Do the wise men actually belong with Jesus at the manger in these little nativity scenes? Um, because scripture tells us it was probably like months or maybe even years before they showed up. The other thing is, is did these wise guys actually follow a star for hundreds and hundreds of miles? Now we're going to kind of take a look at that, but just our own minds understanding and how our traditions can kind of play out, but God brings us back uh, to the truth of his word. Here's some other things about these magi. Um, were there three of them? We three kings of Orient are. Were there three? We really don't know. There could have been three. There could have been less. There could have been more. There could have been a great deal of people traveling with them. The, the number three probably comes from the gifts that they offered, which was gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, so you probably had three bringing those gifts. The other thing, uh, were they kings? No, they weren't. The idea of kings really didn't come to popularity until some 700 years after Christ had walked on earth. Bible scholars before then and, and scholars before them just called them wise men and magi, and that's what Matthew calls them in the scriptures, and so that's what we're going to refer to them as. They're, they're not kings. They're not royalty. Uh, they're wise men. Actually, there's a, a handful of times where we encounter the wise men in the scriptures. Um, in the Old Testament at times, times with like Pharaoh in Egypt and, and a guy named Nebuchadnezzar, a king in Babylon, um, these wise men are, are there. Uh, for Pharaoh, there are the magicians that confront Moses when Moses tries to teach the truth of God, the Abraham, excuse me, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, so these magicians try to counter what Moses does. Um, in Nebuchadnezzar's time, their job is to interpret dreams. And, and in neither case, these wise men seem to be successful. They're stargazers. But they're stargazers with a purpose. These magi, these magicians, these wise men are really astrologists. They don't worship God. They follow a different religion. Some say um, Zoroastrian or something along those lines. They, they have no concept of who the Hebrew God is. They don't know him from Adam. They're astrologists, and the difference between astrology and astronomy is this. Astronomy studies stars and, and the heavenly beings to understand the universe. Astrologists study stars and celestial bodies, and then they begin to make predictions about earthly events. 
Protestants and, and a lot of Christian churches shun this idea, right? I mean, like, if you think of modern-day horoscopes, uh, we, we like, whoa, you're dabbling with something that's not safe. Are you telling me that God is going to use somebody who dabbles in something that's not safe to, to teach a truth about who he is? Well, apparently, that's what God does. He uses these wise men, these guys that are fascinated uh, by the stars and, and like to make predictions about human events. But why is it important to get the record straight on these wise men? We don't want to think of them as having some kind of special knowledge or really that they're innately wise, that somehow because of their wisdom, um, they divine this great God. Because if that's what it took, if you had to have a special knowledge or a special insight to understand God, all of us would be lost. All of us would be lost. Here with them being ignorant of who God is, it gives us hope because we are all ignorant of who God is until he reveals them to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, on to the star. Matthew tells us that there's a star that catches the attention of the Magi, and then they pack up their things and they go on a holy pilgrimage. All Matthew says is that the star rose. It doesn't say that it moved along while the Magi traveled hundreds and hundreds of miles. It just said it rose. So they caught these attention of the Magi. Wow. Are, are you telling me that that God can use such things to, to get people's attention? Absolutely. Think about it this way. God, the creator of all things, who sets the sun and the star and the moon to, to show the signs and the seasons, don't you think that he's quite capable of being able to, when the time comes to its fulfillment, set the heavenly bodies in such a way that a great light gets the attention of some men who understand what's happening? And then they make a holy pilgrimage? Can God use the events in history for his purposes? Yeah, just think about the Christmas story. What happened there? There was a prophecy about where the Messiah was going to be born. Okay. How does that get fulfilled? The entire population of the Roman Empire gets uprooted at the command of the emperor and saying, go register in your hometown so that... In the story of Christmas and Jesus' birth, we have young Mary and a guy named Joseph arriving at the place where the prophecy would be fulfilled in Bethlehem, and Jesus is born. God in the details. He knows what's going to happen. He knows it. Here's the thing. We just got done confessing our faith in Christ and, and God, the Father, and, and the Holy Spirit. We use the words of the Apostles' Creed. We, we said God is the maker of heaven and earth. He's the maker of all things. That idea, if God truly is the creator, and in his understanding, he, as he's creating, he sees the end. As he's creating, he knows the events that are going to be taking place, and he's able to use things for his purposes, to fulfill every promise and every prophecy that's said of him. He's got the end clearly in mind, and I'm going to take you down a, a kind of a historical journey to kind of show you a little bit of this. So, 6th century BC, some 500 to almost 600 years before Christ was born, there's a nation named Babylon, 
and Babylon um, comes in and they uproot the people of Judah. They take him into exile. We on this side, we, we understand the story as happening because God was punishing his children for being disobedient and uh, not following God's ways. But look back at what happens in human history through Babylon. Where is Babylon? Well, it's east of Judah. What is Babylon known for? Many things, but one of the things that they're known for is their astrologists. <laughs> they're magi. And wouldn't you think, that's pretty cool, that's pretty mind-blowing. But here's some more. There was an Israelite that was exiled at the time. His name was Daniel. Oh, I know Daniel. He's in the Bible, yeah. Daniel actually was called upon by the king, Nebuchadnezzar, to interpret dreams. The other guys couldn't pull it off, but here Daniel comes and he gets it right. And it pleases the king. And instead of Daniel, it says it this way. It says, the king of Babylon placed Daniel in a high position and made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon, and he placed him in charge of all of the wise men, all the magi. So, Daniel, who knows God, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Hebrew God, our God, triune God, don't you think that he would, as he's bumping in with these wise men, share the story of who God is? Daniel doesn't remain silent. I'm sure Daniel shared prophecies, and and one of the prophecies that he could have absolutely shared is another obscure reference from the book of Numbers. There's a guy named Balaam. Balaam was called on by a different king. This king Balak didn't like God's people and he wanted to see him cursed. And so he said, I want you to curse God's people. Four times this king asked Balaam to do it and four times Balaam wasn't able to because he was being obedient to the commands of God. Finally, in that fourth time, Balaam said, listen, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near There's a star that's going to come out of Jacob and a scepter that will rise out of Israel and he's going to crush the forehead of his enemies. There's the proclamation of the star, the prophecy of the star, some hundreds and hundreds of years before it actually happens. And so, you get Daniel telling a story like this with a wise man. So it gets passed on from generation to generation that when it finally lines up with God's fulfillment of time. They know what they're seeing. And here's what it is. These wise men aren't acting on just a bright light. These wise men are acting on the word of God. They understand that prophecies are being fulfilled. So they're taking a leap of faith. They're stepping out in faith. These wise men are actually probably Wise because they're following God's word. That's pretty cool. It also explains why they didn't show up at the right place. Where do they go? They go to Jerusalem. Why do they go to Jerusalem? Because if they're going to worship the king, they're going to go to the nation's capital. And when they arrive, they go, hey, where's he who's born king of the Jews? We want to worship him. And nobody knows what he's talking about. And Herod gets freaked out because he's a puppet king. He has power only because the Roman Empire gave it to him, and he's scared. 
The true king, oh, now I need to find out who this guy is and I need to take him out. So he kind of ascertains from the wise men, when did this happen? And so searching the scriptures, we hear once again from Micah, you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now the wise men know where the king is to be born. And so they head out at Herod's command, hey, go and, and worship that king, but bring back word. And as soon as the wise men head out, what do they do? They see the star. Once again, it reappears. And then it comes to rest where the child is, at a house in Bethlehem. Not a manger, but a house, maybe some six months or two years after. So it could be baby Jesus or toddler Jesus. But either way, when they see the star, they rejoice exceedingly with great joy. They go in and they find Mary and the, and the Jesus, and they fall down and they worship him. They open their treasures and they offer him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Mind-blowing details, just, just one right after another, falling into place as God tells the story of the birth of his son. Well, why does all this matter to you and to me? Well, first and foremost, it should resonate with us that these wise men who really had no relationship with God at all, they're the first Gentiles to come and, and worship Jesus. Jesus is showing something, that he came for all people. He didn't come just to be the king of the Jews. He came for everyone. No one has a monopoly on him. He came for all of mankind, every race, every language, every color, every age, every gender, every social background, every social standing, every IQ level, whether wise or unwise, he came for the entire world. He came for you and for me. And here's some other cool stuff. Why, why the Magi matter? I just laid out to you some that probably took place over the span of maybe 1,200 or more years. And God dotted every I and crossed every T. He, was, he cared about every detail. God cares about every detail of your life. God cares about every detail of all of our lives. And there's some of you who are going through some stuff. And you wonder if God sees you. God who never changes cares about the details, and he's promised to see you through it. He has the end in mind. What did he do? He sent his son, and he foretells him over and over again, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. Now, on this side of Easter, we know that the Messiah came, and he's coming back again. He cares about every detail of your life. He's going to make sure that there's nothing that separates you from him ever again. He cares about those details. That's a beautiful thing that we can hold on to. What do we do in response? <laughs> we celebrate. We sing praise. We sing songs like we just sang where it talks about God still working miracles, God still working faith, God still fighting our battles, God who never changes. That's the God we come in regularly each Sunday to say thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing in my life. Amen? Amen. Amen.